The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain and living in Canada. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Today's episode is about peer support for persons living with HIV-AIDS. Now first, let me explain. HIV stands for Human Immunodeficiency Virus. This is the virus which causes AIDS stands for Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. What happens is that by killing cells in the blood, the virus progressively just destroys the body's immune system. Without the protection of the immune system, the body is at very high risk of all kinds of infection and certain types of cancer. Living with HIV-AIDS is living with a very serious disease. Now, to talk about peer support for persons living with this very serious disease, I'm going to welcome Krishna Stone and Glenn Townsend. First, let me introduce them with their, um, with their backgrounds. Krishna Stone is Assistant Director of Community Relations in the Communications Department at Gay Men's Health Crisis, called GMHC for short, based in New York. She manages media inquiries, coordinates uh, site visits to GMHC and organizes community events. She's got extensive, extensive experience working with community-based organizations, schools, hospitals, and corporations. She's an ordained minister of the non-denominational, non-traditional faith community, Sanctuary of the Beloved. She creates dialogue among faith communities, GMHC, and other AIDS service organizations about the critical issues of the HIV-AIDS epidemic. And for the past 10 years, she's been the volunteer announcer at the end of Heritage of Pride's annual Pride March. And she's the mother of a righteous and beautiful 15-year-old daughter named Parade. Glyn Townsend is board chair of the BC Persons with AIDS Society, which is based in Vancouver, Canada. He's been a member of the society since 1987. He served on the board of directors since 2003. Um, before being elected chair, he served three previous terms on the executive committee as vice chair. He's a regular writer and contributor to the society's bi-monthly magazine, Living Plus. 
His involvement in the HIV-AIDS movement extends far beyond the society. He's an active participant in several community working groups and committees throughout Canada. He's been living with HIV-AIDS since the early 1980s and continues to be a strong community activist for a range of issues facing those living with HIV and other disabilities. So, welcome to the show, Krishna and Glenn. And first a comment, Krishna can only be with us for a short period of time because she has to leave us in the call of duty. And I just want to add that I've encountered this before. It reflects the pressure on people who are providing care to others uh, in these days of pressure on the healthcare system and everything else. So my first question is for Glenn. Glenn, what's the mission of the... Uh, BC Persons with AIDS Society, and what's its history? Well, our uh, mission is to uh, empower uh, individuals living with HIV and AIDS uh, through mutual support and collective action. Uh, We are Western Canada's largest AIDS service organization with over 4,800 members, and uh, we became a society uh, in uh, 1987. We had more of an informal group before that, um, and we've been in existence. It'll be your 25th year coming up. Um, we are a member-driven society, which means that uh, our entire board of directors are people living with HIV, and all of our committees are basically um, guided by people living with HIV. So we are a member-driven organization. Okay. Krishna, what, same question for you. What's the mission of GMHC and what's the Well, first of all, I would like to say hello and thank you so much for having me on the radio show. I'm sorry I'm a few minutes late. Um, but uh, Gay Men's Health Crisis is the oldest aid service organization in the country. Uh, our mission is GMHC fights to end the AIDS epidemic and uplift the lives of all affected. And currently we serve about 15,000 men, women, and their families living with and affected by HIV and AIDS. Um, the affected part of that phrase, of that sentence, is that what we may work with the whole family. For example, if the mother or the father is HIV positive, um, we will also work with the family members as well, whether they are HIV positive or not. And we also do HIV prevention, education, and testing. And we advocate for uh, fair and effective public health policies that would uh, impact people living with or affected by HIV and AIDS. Okay. Then please tell us about the types of services and support your society provides through peer support. We have a, well, almost all of our programming is uh, peer-led and designed, so uh, pretty much every department in our society reflects that. Um, We have very specific uh, peer support programming when it comes to uh, peer counseling. Um, We have programs uh, in place for newly diagnosed. Uh, We run programs uh, within the healthcare layers here. Uh, We work very closely with the public health nurses um, and other organizations um, around HIV issues, and we we try and be at the table whenever policy is coming up to make sure that it reflects um, uh, 
certainly uh, reflects well on, on people living with HIV. Uh, there's still a lot of stigma around the disease, and um, we find it, uh, you know, in, in, a, in an urban area, it's much easier to be out and open about uh, living with HIV. When you're in a rural uh, area, there can be a lot more challenges. So we have a, a lot of different supports and uh, programs. Uh, we have... Uh, a lot of outreach programs when it comes to, uh, like, working gay men. Um, we have uh, couples retreats uh, for serodiscordant couples. We have healing retreats for our members. Uh, the programs go on and on. And, and again, they've all been designed by people living with HIV. Okay. Krishna, how is peer support organized by GMHC? Well, the the, pro, the support programs, we uh, are structured um, in terms of support groups, uh, workshops, uh, discussions, and within those support groups, workshops, discussions, um, people living with HIV and AIDS um, support each other in terms of moving through challenges or uh, with a range of issues, um, and the facilitators are either HIV positive or not. Um, and peer support also comes through um, the meals program. Uh, each day, Monday through Thursday, we serve about 400 people living with HIV and AIDS, and then on Fridays we have dinner. And the way that it's set up is that it's, you know, when a person comes into the dining room, they can join with other clients and in a very informal way um, receive support where people can network and they can exchange information. They can get support on maybe a doctor that they, you know, they're not happy about and they want to, you know, receive suggestions from other folks, you know, who may be going through the same thing. But the idea is to build community also in an informal way while having a hot and nutritious meal. And the last, uh, one of the other um, peer support programs is the Action Center. And this is where we work with our clients um, to um, to learn how to lobby, meaning that we uh, work with them on what the issues are on federal, state, and local level in terms of um, funding or bills that may impact people living with HIV and AIDS. And then we work with them on how to speak uh, to elected officials, um, how to share their story in a very powerful way. Um, and through those experiences, um, people living with HIV and AIDS are supported in having a voice and a very powerful voice. And all of our public health, uh, our public health agenda, excuse me, is based on the voices of our clients. So those are just some of the ways that um, our clients can support each other as they um, move through the journey of accessing services at GMHC. Krishna, it's very interesting. Does it, that means that this is an advocacy program and in that case, are you advocating just generally for changes in the way that the bureaucracy, so to speak, uh, responds to needs in HIV-AIDS? Or would you also be advocating for individuals who have run into problems with the system, say? Uh, we do both. Um, we um, advocate for change at all government levels. Um, you know, we, and then we also have... 
um, staff and volunteers who advocate for individuals, whether it's uh, a client that needs, um, you know, housing or is um, or who needs um, additional health insurance or is struggling with a medical facility. So, so in other words. Um, we're working on one-on-one in terms of advocacy, and then we work at a local and national level in terms of advocacy. Um, we, um, for example, we uh, were very. Uh, GMAC was very instrumental in helping to um, push for a national HIV and AIDS strategy. Which, once uh, President Obama was elected, he appointed a director for the national. Office of HIV and AIDS Policy, and so we worked with, we continue to work with Jeff Cowley on the shaping of the national HIV and AIDS strategy, which was officially launched in July of this year. Great stuff. Now, we are going to take a break now, but we will be coming back to these very important issues. So it is time for us to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Krishna Stone and Glenn Townsend. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Krishna Stone and Glenn Townsend. Our topic is peer support for persons living with HIV AIDS. So let's talk about the key challenges and the really key things that are involved. Starting with Krishna. Krishna, what have been and what continue to be the major challenges you've encountered in providing peer support? And by you, I mean GMHC, but I also mean you as a person. Sure. How do you deal with them? Krishna? Well, the, um, I think what's continuing, and I think Glenn mentioned this earlier, um, which uh, I think what's continuing to be uh, a huge challenge um, are stigma, shame, and discrimination that are still very much attached to um, HIV and AIDS, whether you're doing HIV prevention and or uh, working with people living with HIV and AIDS. Um, this presents obstacles in having people even access us, um, you know, even coming to the building of GMHC uh, and receiving support. And we actually go out into the communities to um, to do uh, to raise awareness and do educational outreach, but um, people um, really still f- um, uh, people living with HIV and AIDS um, still feel very much isolated um, and are sort of wrapped in you know such shame about living with HIV, and that's why our meals program is so helpful as well as our support groups and the advocacy groups because you're in a room with hundreds of people living with HIV um, and AIDS and, you know, and you're in a welcoming environment, a non-judgmental environment, and that helps to start the conversations around how people are feeling about living with HIV and AIDS. We have family mem- families um, who uh, come to the support groups um, and have not told other family members because they're afraid of being, you know, uh, isolated from sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles. And so our educational work continues in the communities about reducing the stigma because it doesn't help um, a person living with HIV and AIDS. You know, the rates of, you know, depression go up, um, and that's still a problem. So... um, I think that those three elements still remain um, structural barriers in working with people living with HIV and AIDS. And then there's funding, um, funding on a very practical level and um, uh, to do additional support work for people living with HIV and AIDS. Right. Glenn, just list for us or summarize for us the role of peer support in those kinds of challenges that Krishna has just been talking about. Well, I think it's it's really important to have uh, people that are going through or have gone through uh, similar situations. Um, you know, getting uh, an, uh, an HIV or an AIDS diagnosis is a very life-changing uh, event, and to try and do that alone is a little bit overwhelming. Uh, and many times, because we're not necessarily that open about living with HIV in many cases, people think they're the only ones. And mm-hmm. uh, until they get uh, to see that there's lots of people around them, maybe people that they didn't even suspect when they come to some of the support groups and different meetings, uh, it, it takes the edge off of it. And, you know, we our understanding now is when people first get diagnosed, they usually go into pretty much a state of denial 
for quite a period of time, and they probably aren't going to necessarily attach themselves immediately to services. So we try and, and get just a few key messages of where they can get support and assistance all the way through the process and hope that they connect with us. Uh, so we've worked very closely, for instance, with our public health nurses uh, that give people just very basic information about what they can do and who they can call when they start having questions. And once we get people um, involved, um, their, their lives change around dramatically. Um, I, I can't think of a better model uh, for good health care than uh, peer involvement. Very good. Very also, you know, if I may just add on, I think another area where there's challenges um, in terms of working with our clients is around dating and relationships and, and, and being, you know, and affirming people to be able to have, you know, um, safer sex and, and, and healthy relationships. Um, we have discussions with both women clients and male clients um, about, you know, and support supporting folks um, moving through uh, disclosing their HIV status and, and, and just having healthy and fulfilling sex lives and relationships. Um, oftentimes, people living with HIV and AIDS have expressed in groups um, that they feel like damaged goods, um, like they're criminals or, you know, diseased, if you will. And so those are really tough areas to move through and, and also to gather support that they're worthy of having relationships. They're worthy of having sex lives. They're worthy of, you know, going out on dates. And so those are some areas, too, that are just very critical in the well-being of uh, people living with HIV and AIDS. Krishna, I'd just like to follow up on something you said. For a person with HIV AIDS, when is it important to keep private the information that he or she has the condition and when is it important for the information to be shared? And then, with whom should it be shared? Krishna? Well, that's a sticky question. <laughs> I think it's pretty much um, an individual, case-by-case um, scenario. I mean, um, we support um, our clients, you know, when they feel it's when they're ready, if they'd like to disclose to their family members. And it's it may take a while. It may take you know, many discussions just to have a parent share with their child that they're HIV positive or share with their, um, um, you know, dating someone. I I really can't say that there's an absolute gauge on when um, when to share, when to disclose, or when not to disclose. Um, but certainly, I know that some of my colleagues have talked about, you know, w- gauging uh, the uh, the time to disclose if for example uh, a client is in a domestic violence uh, relationship and and how how challenging that is if there if a client i mean if a person living with HIV and AIDS is in a domestic violent relationship and and how do you first address that issue before um you know, sharing or not sharing. Um, but I, I think it's more about what's going on in that person's life and how much support they have and what's, and what are the possible implications once the person is disclosed. And all of those factors have to be taken into consideration. Right. Krishna, still with you. Same, mm-hmm. same issue. Mm-hmm. Um, do health professionals, and if they do, to what extent do they, 
rely on information provided to them by peer support persons. In other words, um, do the social workers, health professionals, and so on rely on peer support to provide information about the person with HIV-AIDS? And if they do, what do they use the information for? Well, I'm not certain that um, if a, if a, I think if if a social worker is leading a support group and there are issues that the people in the support group are, are you know, are raising and they are, you know, and, and they're getting support from their peers, but still there are challenges, like, on a particular issue. I think that... Um, for example, dating is, is one of them. Um, I think that the social worker then has an opportunity to figure out, well, maybe what we need to do is do additional discussion groups just on this one topic. Maybe we need to do workshops or presentations, you know, expanding on what the support group's working on, but then maybe taking it a couple steps out of, like, additional you know, workshops or something like that. I think that it being informed of the issues helps shape, you know, programming, um, if you will, and, and maybe doing additional programming. If there are more, what would happen like five years, six, seven years ago, was it more, you know, our clients are getting older. And so the needs change, you know, if you're a person living with HIV needs in your 50s, it's going to look differently um, HIV is going to look differently in a person who is in their 70s. So we started to do more programming addressing people over the age of 50 um, and how HIV impacts uh, that particular community. Okay. Now, Glenn, I'm going to ask you, we hear a lot about electronic health records in Canada and the U.S., and I'm wondering if your society has a policy about privacy for persons with HIV-AIDS in this electronic world, and in any case, what concerns you have? Well, uh, we are in the province of British Columbia uh, going to a very centralized um, electronic health record collection system, uh, which we have some huge privacy concerns about. Uh, one, because we feel it's far overreaching of what the system actually needs. Um, and it also opens up, you know, there are so many different things that are going to be connected together uh, that there are going to be privacy leaks. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there really are very huge differences between the urban experience and the rural exper experience. And the challenges of someone living with HIV in a rural community and being outed um, is, can be quite catastrophic. Mm -hmm. So we have some major concerns. We've been working, uh, I've been on the privacy subcommittees of several groups um, with our government. Um, we were able to get uh, some legislation passed around some patient control over their uh, medical records, uh, but we don't feel it goes far enough, and we haven't really seen um, proper implementation uh, or even advertising that people can have some control over their uh, medical records. Right. Oh, if I just may add that um, I answered the question in a somewhat different fashion, I, I just want to reiterate that we 
that GMHC strictly adhere to confidentiality laws. Um, I just basically tried to answer it in the way that perhaps, a, you know, a social worker or another kind of staff person who sees you know, a growing needs, you know, like I mentioned around seniors and HIV, it would be more about developing programs or, you know, or doing different things, you know, from a creative and strategic way, not taking actual information that's being shared in a support group or one-on-one. It's just more about, hmm, I keep hearing the same problem. What can we do about it at GMHC? That's what I was talking about. Yeah, perfectly fair. Now, it is coming up to the time to take a short break, and unfortunately, at this particular point, Krishna, we have to say goodbye to you because you're leaving us for the call of duty. And I want to yeah. say what I said before. This is getting very common, in my experience, of, and it reflects all the pressures that people like you uh, all over North America uh, are experiencing when you're delivering, delivering care to people you care about. So I want to thank you for participating in this episode, and I want to wish you every success in the work you're doing. And I thank hope you. At another time, we will be able to carry on this conversation with you. Absolutely. So, I'm, I'm happy to come back and talk again, and I appreciate your understanding that we have folks who have very complex needs, um, uh, along with HIV, but other very uh, critical issues that have to be addressed. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. You're most welcome. So to our audience, thank you for listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. The Marsh Engel Show. Join the movement to empower yourself with the essentials of feminine power and success and learn how women around the world are becoming more inspired, more influential, and absolutely amazing. Each week, Marsh sits down for an engaging conversation with women who are boldly committed to living their most amazing life. You'll discover ways to step into your greatest vision, deepen your relationships, and unleash your real creative brilliance. Get ready. It's time to jump into the conversation. It's Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for The Marsh Engel Show on the Voice America Business Network. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark, Paul Fresh Clark, and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. 
As a current player, Des Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired right fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Krishna Stone, who has had to leave us for the call of duty, and Glyn Townsend. Our topic is peer support for persons living with HIV-AIDS. And I want to start off by asking Glenn whether people with HIV-AIDS get into problems with the police and maybe the prison systems, and if so, how does this happen, and what are the consequences of all of this, and what is really his view, his society's view, on the way in which these issues are developing? Glenn? Well, we have had uh, grave concerns about uh, the general criminalization of HIV uh, in Canada, and that has to do around um, people not disclosing their HIV status. Now, not that we would ever um, say that that is something that one should do, but we don't believe that it is a criminal offense. It should be held more as a, a health issue. Um, And and the problem that we have here is that people charged uh, with not disclosing, whether they infect someone or not, uh, can face lengthy jail terms, uh, along with we've had several very major outings of of people's names and pictures plastered in the media and newspapers uh, before they're convicted. So uh, whether or not they've actually done the crime, uh, or uh, so it's it's a it's a huge issue um, that we follow very closely. Uh, we've put a lot of effort into it. Um, we do have a duty to disclose in Canada um, if we uh, potentially uh, put another individual at significant risk of harm uh, to contact HIV. Um, there are and there's a very it's just a it's kind of a a very uneven playing field because no one really knows how to interpret uh some of the the court rulings that have come out uh we do know that there is really good information uh if people are interested they can um check out the Canadian HIV AIDS legal network uh which is based in Toronto which has uh very good information around disclosure and and the criminalization of HIV uh, and and I'll, I'll kind of leave it there because this is a very large topic, um, and I and I would want people to get good information about it. Now, what I'd like to ask you, moving on from that particular topic, um, is this: Let's talk about the quality of life for persons with HIV/AIDS. How does peer support help them improve their quality of life, Glenn? 
I well, I, I can tell you from my own experience that uh, you know, living with HIV now for uh, well, uh, coming up to probably pretty close to thirty years. Um, you know, in the beginning, when there were no treatments, peer support was incredibly uh, useful because it wasn't a very good thing to disclose your HIV status. You could lose your house, you could lose your job. Um, I think we've moved uh, mountains in some of those ways, and certainly with treatments and whatnot we have today, it is a different place. But peer support is still very important. Um, there are issues when you live with a chronic disease, and even if you're uh, if you're getting good treatment, uh, there are a lot of issues that come up uh, around living with HIV. So uh, I think peer support. Uh, I would probably not be here if it wasn't for my peers and the support I've been given over the years. And you know, part of what I do is giving back to what I was so freely given. Right. Earlier, in the, you and. Um Krishna referred to what I'm going to call stigmatization and discrimination. Uh, please talk about how that actually occurs now and to what extent. And then can you tell us about any experience you've had or your society's had in providing so support to anyone who's experienced anything like this? What, what, what was the kind of support you were able to provide? Stigmatization and discrimination. Glenn? Well, I, I think uh, much of the stigma is around uh, stereotyping of, of who is going to get HIV. So, you know, in the early 80s, it was kind of assumed that if you had HIV, you were a gay man uh, or a hemophiliac. That was about the only two populations here in North America. Then, of course, we had the uh, influx of uh, cases of HIV in the intravenous drug-using community, uh, so either then you were a gay man or a junkie <laughs> or a hemophiliac. And, and so some of those things are really stuck. So, and, and people don't necessarily want to be assigned with those groups. So although HIV in reality affects all populations to an extent or another, um, there are some very stereotypical views that have kind of taken off and stuck. Um, and, and that really, I think, has a, a flavoring on whether people are comfortable uh, about talking about whether they're HIV or not. Um, as for a particular case, um, you know, we, we deal with many cases, many of them around, uh, you know, family issues around custody of children. Um, there, that is probably one of the most difficult parts because, uh, all of a sudden, HIV is tossed around as, as a grenade, um, and it can break families apart, and, uh, you know, a lot of that is just very damaging to all individuals involved. Uh, the other part can be, you know, a lot more subtle of, you know, character assassination around the workplace, um, you know, maintaining stable housing, those kinds of issues. So, you know, it might not be as, as blatant as it once was, but it's still quite alive and well. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it is, is really misinformation. And as much information as we put out there, uh, there is still a lot of very bad information floating around. Right. That leads me, in a way, into my next question for you, which is, um, is it true that depression or even suicide are associated with HIV-AIDS. And what I'm thinking about now is 
the sort of things you've been talking about, um, the stereotyping, um, can be very painful to bear. Does that contribute to things like depression or maybe even suicide? Well, there was a study uh, uh, done in BC a couple of years ago, and uh, it indicated that uh, for people living with HIV, um, for the normal population, about one in five is going to have a mental health issue. When they actually did a survey of people living with HIV, it was more like four in five. So you, that's like a, a huge increase in, in uh, incidence of, of mental health issues. Uh, depression certainly is near the top of that list. Uh, we've been advocating for years for better access to good mental health care so that people can get treated before it gets out of hand. I mean, you know, suicide is a reality. Unfortunately, I have to say that even recently we've had members commit suicide. Now, not necessarily just because they're HIV positive, but uh, quite possibly because we have not been able to match them up with adequate services. Yeah. What, where, quick question now. Where should people first go for help if, if depression is overtaking them? Then? Well, I, I think the important part is to first talk to your GP, uh, your general practitioner, your doctor, about uh, where you're at. If you're not getting um, a good answer from there, you may want to look at some of the community supports that are out there. Uh, there are crisis lines that people can call. Um, you know, if it's at, uh, you know, late at night and someone just needs to talk, there are crisis lines available for and, and counselors available, and I think people should really avail themselves of that. Uh, you know, a, a burden shared is halved. Right. Glenn, it's the same rather worrying question, but let me, let me just put this to you, that um, physicians particularly say and believe that depression um, has to be taken very seriously because people get depressed to the point of thinking of suicide and therefore anybody who's depressed who's talking about suicide should be taken very seriously indeed because the risk is real. Does that advice ring true with you? Is that the kind of story that you think that the communities you're providing support for understand clearly enough? Well, I think it, it is a legitimate concern, and we take uh, depression and mental health uh, very seriously. Unfortunately, uh, the situation we find ourselves in is that the system is, does not have the capacity uh, for the demand at this point, and we've been working very closely uh, with our partners in the medical community. Um, you know, and, and part of it is, is we do have... Um, you know, our peer counselors can deal with a lot of issues, but when it comes to more medical-based things, we need to rely on professionals. We're not professionals. We are peers, and although peers can have a very good effect and certainly augment, uh, there is no, there's really no um, way to get around uh, when people need good professional help. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think just very quickly, you agree also that um, we as a community, not talking about professionals now, need to take some things, some, some particular things like depression, perhaps more seriously than we, we already do, simply because the risk of suicide is a, is a tragedy. Now, 
We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back to some of the other matters that arise from this discussion. Um, it is time for the break, and this is Dr. Gordon Avalier. My guests are Krishna Stone, who's had to leave us for her duty, and Glenn Townsend. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Total career success. What does it mean to you? World Talk Radio presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on World Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Krishna Stone, who's 
had to leave us for uh, to return to duty, caring duty, Anglin Townsend. Our topic is peer support for persons living with HIV/AIDS. Now, first, I want to ask Glenn a somewhat more personal question, and it's this: Glenn, what makes the sun shine for you in your work as board chair of the society? Well, I, I was thinking about that over the break, and uh, I'd have to say that, um, and, and I'll give you one example because this one uh, just makes me smile whenever I think about it. A number of years ago, uh, we decided through our membership that we needed to have some supports for couples who were in serodiscordant relationships. That's where one's positive and one's negative. And uh, we created a, uh, a workshop series for couples, and... Um, this spring we had uh, one of our workshops, and uh, there was a young couple, new immigrants to Canada. Uh, the husband was diagnosed with HIV, and they had just thought that they'd never be able to have children. Um, and as a result of, um, and I'm getting emotional here because uh, uh, it was really great to match them with other couples that had successfully had children. And, uh, you know, they're starting their lives, and um, it's amazing to see the just that kind of support where they've taken it they're just delightful they're uh, they've been very involved with the organization now and uh they even uh one of the husband marched in the pride parade with us this year so those are things that you know if i'm having a bad day with government officials or funding issues uh, i think about and it always puts me in a very good mood thank you for that um it is a hard life um but when I hear people like you talking about the things that make the sun shine, those are, in effect, the ways of providing encouragement to all of us. Now, I want to talk about how the healthcare system and society can better support, peer support, for people with HIV-AIDS. So, Glenn, what are the changes that you believe are most needed to improve peer support or support generally for people with HIV-AIDS? Well, I, I think certainly in, in the context of living in British Columbia, we have uh, amazingly good services medical-wise when, when, if someone's living with HIV, if they're connected to those services. Unfortunately, we know with certain populations that are hard to reach, um, it's not quite as good in, it's not quite a, as good a place. Uh, our First Nations number, uh, Aboriginal uh, people here are far, um, overrepresented in the numbers of new infections uh, in the province, and they're often not attached to services. Some of that is just because the way of our government is set up with uh, uh, provincial and federal jurisdiction. Uh, we have issues around access to prisoners uh, in the system, and we have a very high level of HIV infection in our prison system. And uh, to the best of our ability, we try and get in there and do education um, but we need a lot more support, and we need a lot more buy-in from, from the actual system. When you talk about buy-in, explain a little bit more to us what you mean by buy-in and how would it manifest itself. Well, I, I say that in the sense of taking HIV seriously uh, and actually acknowledging that, you know, yes, there is drug use in our prison system, whether anyone wants to admit it or not. Um, and the reality is, is we need to be proactive rather than reactive uh, to the HIV epidemic. 
uh, and in the prison system now, um, you know, whether or not you believe that people should be locked away forever, the reality is is 85% of them are going to be back into the population at some point. If they pick up HIV within the system, uh, they're going to be coming back into the community with it. Uh, if they're not treated and cared for, uh, those are just that's just another vector of how HIV can spread further. Um, and with all that we know now, um, I, I think we can still be doing a much better job. Right. These changes you're talking about, the changes you'd like to see, in whose best interests are those changes, and why are they so important? Jen? I think that uh, if you put it into an ind- just as a citizen of the world, shall we say, uh, every time you prevent one case of HIV, uh, there is a, a, a less of a strain on our already uh, kind of uh, our health system, which is already under a lot of stress. Um, and it also makes uh, for a better community. Um, if we can talk about these things, I mean, one of the issues that I, we haven't been able to really get into, but you know, we still as, as a society do not talk about sex. We do not talk about, you know, we're very ageist. There's a sex phobic out there. We don't talk about these things. We're obviously not talking to our kids about it because they're still doing the behaviors that can put them at risk. Uh, and I think we really need to have a very frank discussion about, uh, you know, how one gets HIV and, and you know, not to scare people but, or, or young people for that matter, but to, to let them make their own decisions with good information. This, we're going to run into uh, out of time in very shortly, but very briefly, what is it? causing the decision-makers to be not so quick to accept the kind of advice for the things you're advocating? Just quickly, Glenn. Well, I, I would say that there's been a lot of uh, pushback. I mean, I, I think of, uh, you know, the Ontario School Board trying to initiate uh, better uh, sex education within the system and the pushback. Um, I, I'd just like to say to some of those parents that objected to uh, what I thought was a very good curriculum, you basically put a gun to your kid's head. Uh, if they don't have the right information, they can make some very poor choices along the way. And, uh, you know, I think we need to have a much bigger discussion uh, and, and loosen up a bit um, around making sure people get the information that they actually need so they can make good decisions. That's good public health, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And what that means is that HIV AIDS and its prevention aren't, for the majority of the population, things that happen somewhere else. Uh, this is within, they, these things affect all of us in the, one way or another in the society in which we live. That's right, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay. And, and we would like to, uh, again, affirm that research uh, and, and doing the actual finding out and asking these questions and actually trying to, to prove them in a scientific method is the best way to do it. Now, I've got to, the tyranny of time is upon us, so I've got to close off here. Thank you to our listeners. Please email us with your comments and questions. I want to say thank you to our guests, Krishna Stone and Glenn Townsend, for sharing the experience, insights, and advice. And we wish you every success for the future in all you do. In our next episode, we're going to talk about using ID cards to burst barriers in Parkinson's disease.
disease. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around.